Hey, it's so good to welcome you to Fields Church Online, and we are so pleased that you've tuned in for this message. No matter what's going on in your world right now, we pray that you come away feeling encouraged by this message. Island of Patmos for preaching the Word of God and speaking about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard a loud voice behind me. How many of you like suddenlies? A voice that sounded like a trumpet blast. It said, write down what you see and send it to the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. Standing in the middle of the lampstands was the Son of Man. He was wearing a, a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were bright like flames of fire. His feet, his feet were as bright as bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from the mouth and his face was as bright as the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am. That's the name of God, I am the first and the last. I am living, the living one who died, look, I am alive forever and ever. That's the picture of Jesus that we should have. Our conquering Savior. The Savior who's coming back for his bride, his glorious bride. You and me. Are we ready? Are we ready for his return? Not just waiting passively, expecting him to come and do something. We've got to be active on the earth today reaching as many people for Jesus as we can because the time is short. But we're not to be afraid. Like Jesus said to John, let's not be afraid. We don't need to be fearful of what's going on. We just need to keep our eyes on Jesus, not on the circumstances, not on the mountains. Don't speak about the mountains. Speak to the mountains. Speak about the mountain and the mountain will grow. Speak to the mountain and it will go. Let's keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus in these really challenging, difficult times that we live in. The Lord, yeah, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your grace. Come now, Holy Spirit, like that scripture says. Who's thirsty? How many of us are thirsty this morning? Jesus said, come to me and drink. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. This he was talking about, the Holy Spirit. So, Father, Holy Spirit, come now and just fill us afresh. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Andrew, if you'd like to come up. I'm going to pray for Andrew. Andrew's going to bring a message this morning. He hasn't preached for a long time, and we're so excited. I'm so excited that my brother has got a message for us this morning. Father God, I thank you for this true man of God, this true pillar of the church, my friend, my brother. 
Thank you for him, Lord. Thank you for the words that come out of his mouth. Are your words, Holy Spirit, just speak through and into his heart right now and speak to this congregation about the things that we need to learn about these heroes that we look at in our scriptures in the Bible. And Father, I thank you that every heart is open to receive, every eye is open and every ear is open to hear what the Spirit would say to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, Pastor. Well, it's good to be with you this morning, and such a privilege to share with you today. We've been doing a series on faith, and looking at faith, particularly through the eyes of heroes of faith, various men and women who have encountered God, and seen how their lives have been changed, and the lives of others have been changed. So how do you define faith? Now, in, through this series, I wonder if you've got a clearer definition of faith, because we can look at it in so many different ways. And I'm sure if I was to ask each one of you for a definition of faith, I would probably get a different answer from everybody I asked. Unless they quoted Hebrews 11, um, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I think, yep, I've got it nailed down. And then I was to ask you, well, how would you unpack that verse? And I think, again, people will start to be varied in their response to how you would define faith. What does faith mean to you? And I just want to take you right back to the very beginning when Richard kicked this off and said, faith basically is trust. That's the first and foremost idea you need to know about faith. It's trust. And we're talking specifically about faith in God. Now, how can we have trust in someone we haven't seen? Now, we all have trust in something or someone we haven't seen, even if it's your bank manager. <laughs> Although that's probably not a good example these days, because how many people even know they have a bank manager? It's some sort of um, cyber algorithm somewhere, probably. But we all have people we do business with over Zoom, over the phone, people who we might not necessarily see, but we, we trust them because of our connection with them, don't we? We're prepared to invest our money or our time um, in areas where we feel confident that our investment is being well-placed. So how do we know we can have confidence with God if we haven't seen him? And I remember hearing this me a message on this years and years ago that has stuck with me as a basic, simple explanation of faith from which I can begin to understand other aspects. And it is this. We have faith because God has spoken. He has given his word. And if we could have the first slide up, please, Kyle. In Hebrews chapter 1, it's where... It's a great book on, on faith. It says, right at the very beginning, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom we appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. He has spoken through the prophets and today through his son. 
How do we know we can put trust in what God has spoken? Because what the prophet spoke came true. And what Jesus said about himself came true. And he said that he would suffer at the hands of men, would be killed, would be buried for three days, and would rise again. And he, that was witnessed by many and recorded for us to have confidence in the fact that God speaks. So we might not see, but we can hear. And we can all hear God through his word, through the world we live in, through our conscience, through one another. So many different ways we hear God speak. And I want to share to whom God spoke in a particular way. Now, when Richard asked me to, if I would be prepared to share on, on heroes of faith, I think I missed the brief, because I'm sure he had in mind the list of heroes of faith in Hebrews, and we would pick one and then talk about it, you know, our favourite. But I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm a bit slow on the uptake sometimes, and I didn't get that far, because my mind immediately went to Ruth. Uh, uh, I've got a soft spot for Ruth, I'm afraid. And... Uh, and then I think when I mentioned Ruth, Richard saw the excitement in the eyes, in my eyes, and he didn't have the heart to tell me, no, that wasn't quite what he meant. So he's let me run with Ruth. And I know, I know what some of you are thinking. I know I've chosen Ruth because she ended up marrying Boaz, who is a wheat and barley farmer like me. <laughs> no, no. Although perhaps a little bit, yes, I have to admit. There, there, perhaps there is a sort of... Um, uh, a connection there through that. That someone should love a, a barley farmer. Why? I don't know, but there you go. Now, to, to talk about Ruth a little bit, I know there'll be some people here who might not be familiar with the story of Ruth, so I think it's important just to give a quick synopsis of Ruth. Ruth is a lady who, who um, lived at the times early on in, in, the, in the history of Israel, just as Israel was really beginning to get its feet as a nation, it had come out of Egypt, had moved into the promised land, and had started to establish itself there, and was kind of one or two generations in. And this is where the story of Ruth is set. And, and Ruth was... Um, now, I won't start with Ruth. I'll start with Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. Now, Naomi and Elimelech lived in a little town called Bethlehem. Anybody here heard of Bethlehem? Yes, good. So we've got a good common starting point. Now, Naomi and Elimelech had two sons, and um, things were hard. There was a drought, Is that, and, and uh, it, was, it was difficult to make ends meet. Is that familiar, too? And they decided, let's go somewhere else where we might find better pasture, for our family, better, better prospects. So they went to a country called Moab. Now that's not a particularly good place to go because God said, don't go back to the nations where you came from. Be faithful in the land where I settled you. So Naomi and Elimelech were really um, off on the wrong track a little bit. And they went to Moab. And there they married their two sons off to two Moabite women. Again, they shouldn't have done that. Because Moabites have a history of, of, of um, leading the Israelites astray. And God had said, don't marry foreign women because they'll lead you away from faith in me. And so 
Naomi and Elimelech probably weren't the best parents or role models in that respect. Because Moab, when, when Israel was, was on its way through the wilderness from Egypt into, um, towards the Promised Land, they came across the Moabite nation. And they resisted Israel. And they hired a prophet named Balaam, who had a, an ass or donkey. Anybody remember that story? Okay. And they hired Balaam because they wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites to, to um, get God to stop the Israelites from coming into their land. And if you're familiar with the story, you understand that, um, that um, Balaam couldn't curse the um, Israelites because God had blessed them and, he, and God wouldn't allow him. So, so Balaam still wanted his, his money for, for helping the Moabites, uh, suggested to them, well, I can't curse them, but what you can do, you can send your women down into their camp to... Um, to um, engage with the men and, and, and prostitute yourselves with them basically and lead them astray away from their God. So this is the kind of heritage that the Moabites had with Israel. So it wasn't a good start, was it? And Ruth was a Moabite who had married um, one of the sons of Naomi and, and Elimelech. But Naomi was a remarkable lady because Elimelech died in, in Moab. His two sons also died and left Ruth a widow together with Orpah, another lady who married the other son. And uh, it was a pretty distressing time. And Naomi decided it's best now to come go back to where I was born, to the land of my birth, to my home country, to the, to the land that God had blessed. And the two daughters-in-law decided to return with her. And it says, Ruth clinged to Naomi. And then Ruth thought, I mean, then Naomi thought, well, I better, I better give my daughter-in-laws a, a, a bit of a lesson in the realities of life. She said, look, I've got no prospects back in Bethlehem. I've sold my land, that's gone. I, I, I've got no one to look after me, no, no husband to provide, no sons to provide. I can't have any more sons. I've got nothing to offer you. Nothing. You better go back to your land where at least you have a family, at least you have something to go back to. And Oprah decided to turn back after saying she would follow Ruth. But Naomi, it says, clung to Ruth. And um, the second side, it says, but, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. Ruth returns with Naomi, and when she returns to Bethlehem, she starts to glean in the barley fields to put food on the table. There she comes across a farmer called Boaz, who happened to be a relative of her father-in-law, 
Ruth catches the eye of Boaz, and he makes sure she is protected while she's gleaning in the fields. Naomi goes into matchmaking mode and sees, ah, here's an opportunity to provide for us as a family and, and for Ruth. And she provides some matchmaking advice, which you will not find in any lifestyle magazine you pick off the shelves today. So it probably won't fit into our um, style today of doing things. Um, but it's an interesting read. Boaz, in that time, was what's called a, a kinsman redeemer. So when a family loses any prospect of maintaining its inheritance in the land, it was incumbent on the closest relative to, to buy out their property and to redeem it back to the family so that the family could continue to have an inheritance that God had given in the land to perpetuate it for generation to generation. And part of that, too, was also raising up children that would carry then the family name. So they wouldn't be your children, they'd be your relatives' children. So that name would continue. So that's a tradition from the time as well. And so Boaz and, uh, and um, Ruth get married. They have a son called Obed. Obed is raised as Naomi's child in that tradition to carry on the family name and the family line. And Obed became the father of a man called Jesse. And Jesse became the father of a man called David, who became the king of Israel, through whom the line of Jesus can be followed. What a heritage. And then Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after. I put that bit in there, I couldn't resist. <laughs> so this is, this is really quite a domestic story, isn't it, in many ways? It's a hard story, but it's, it's, it's a story of, of, of a young woman having to try and make it in life in very bitter circumstances. <coughs> Why is there a whole book in this Bible that's devoted to this Lady Ruth? To me, it's the closest book in the Bible to being a pure biography. There are many books in the Bible that carry people's names, especially in the New Testament, because they were written by them. There are some in the Old Testament, like Daniel the prophet and the prophet, because they had prophecies that they recounted. Esther might come close. She was a lady who became queen in, in Babylon and was used by God at that time in a specific way. But it's a very snapshot part of her life. Ruth stands out in that this was a more of a holistic biography of this lady. But why? Why is she singled out for this particular um, recognition? Because nowhere in this book does it say, and thus God spoke to Ruth. Or Ruth heard the word of the Lord and went and killed Goliath or built an ark, or started a nation, or fed the 5,000. Nothing like that as we've heard before. No remarkable sign or action or deed that makes her stand out. She just went about her daily life. So why? 
was she recognized in such a way? A young woman brought up on the wrong side of the tracks, as it were, in relation to the kingdom of God, without hope and without God in the world, had been widowed at an early age, was destitute, didn't have social services to fall back on, but had to rely on those around her. She had dependent relatives, Naomi. Is this ringing some bells for anybody here? Trying to find a way, looking, looking to make a life for herself, a future family and prospects. There's not one of us here that can't connect in some way with this lady, with our lives. But still, why does she carry such prominence in God's word? And I want to look at a few aspects of Ruth that might give us a clue. And the first thing is that Ruth changed the direction in her life and gave allegiance not only to Naomi because she loved her, but to her God. And that wasn't something that she did in a vacuum without evidence. Some people today say, say believing in God is, is something you do without evidence. It's just, it's just a step into blind um, obedience. Nothing could be further from the truth. Ruth was in a generation that knew the history of Israel. They would still be talking about how this nation was taken out of Egypt and, and the things that happened in Egypt, the miraculous signs, would still be talked about. There would still be fear in Moab as the Israelite nation came towards them through the wilderness, being protected by God, and how they had um, beaten them, and how they knew that God was taking them into the promised land and seeing how the nations had fallen before them. Ruth would have known all this. And Ruth would have also listened to the fireside stories by Naomi and Elimelech about what God had done for them as a nation and a family. She would have heard these stories. This wasn't a choice she made just purely out on emotional whim. She had decided to follow Naomi and to follow her God. And she put her trust, her trust, remember? Definition of faith, she put her trust in God because of what she heard. Because you cannot put God, your faith in God unless you have heard. It's impossible to have faith unless we do hear. How do we know that Ruth had put her trust in God? Because she put her trust in God's ways and knew his character. It's one thing to see the signs of God and to recognize that he exists. But it's a totally different thing to see the heart of God behind those signs and recognize what he is doing and what he is like and to put your trust in him. In Hebrews, again, we come back to Hebrews in chapter 10. The Hebrew writer chastises many in, the, in, in Israel for the fact that 
he says this. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as, did, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestor tested me and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. So we can see the signs of God. We can see what God does. We can be aware that God exists. But have you heard the heart of God behind them to the point where you put your trust in him, where you are prepared to step out and trust him? And how do you know you're trusting him? Because you're trusting your life in his ways the ways that he prescribes for you to walk in. Rather than trying to fit God into your life value system. Today the world is pressuring us to, to see that its value system is right and to disdain every other value system. And there are churches today which are trying to fit with today's value system to try to remain relevant and they are dying. We want this church to be a church that proclaims God's ways and to stand true to what he says and how he says we should walk, that we would enter into that inheritance and remain faithful to him. Oh. Now when you start talking about the ways of Ruth, I want to start a series. <laughs> because there's so much in here. And I'm going to be, have to be very, very disciplined because... I'm going to have to skip through a few of the ways that Ruth was walking in, in a very cursory manner. But please bear with me, and hopefully you can look at these in a bit further. Now, Ruth had an understanding of love that is a different definition to how the world defines love today. The world defines love today as how you feel, predominantly. God defines love as to whom you commit. To whom you promise that you will be faithful. That is God's definition of love. He calls it a word that we do not use very often today. He calls it covenant love. Now, we could do a series on covenants straight away, but we won't. But it's a, what God says is, is, a, is a binding covenant sealed in blood where um, I promise I will stand with you even if it costs me my life. That's what a covenant commitment is. And God covenanted his love to us. And he said, I will stand with you even if it costs me my life. And it did cost the life of Jesus. And you see covenant life in action. Covenant faithfulness is where you commit to someone even at the risk of it being to your detriment. Even after you've made the promise, you realize that you hadn't possibly realized the implications of what your promise might imply, but you stick to your promise because you promised. 
People who have seen the faithfulness of God see the virtue in their promise and their yes and their amen and will stand by it. So often today people will promise to say, oh, I'll come and help you at the weekend. And then something else might come up which is more interesting or demanding and you won't see them that weekend because they've decided they want to do what they wanted to do because their circumstances have changed. And you might think, oh, that's a little thing. But you've broken, if you promised, you've broken a promise. And God doesn't see that as a little thing. Because he sees, if you are faithful in a little, you will be faithful in a lot. If you're not faithful in a little, you can't be trusted with a lot. If you've committed in a promise, go through with it. If you can't go through with it, go to the person you promised and asked to be released from the promise. This might sound a little technical. It's, it's more than going to the, to the person saying, sorry, I can't make it after all, I can't come, sorry. If you say that, you haven't realized how significant your promise is. Because God sees a promise as like giving a gift. If I was to give a gift to you, Richard, and I brought it into your home, and I give it to your hands, and it's now yours. Yeah. And the next day, I realized, oh, I really would have liked to have given that gift to somebody else. Somebody with... Oh, never mind. I won't go there. I'll, I'll dig myself a hole. I'm uh, prone to that. So I'll keep my mouth shut. But no, so... I said, oh, I'd love to give that gift to them. What would you think if I walked into Richard's home, took that gift back for him without buy your leave, and then given it to another person? Well, would, would that be okay? No. It wouldn't be okay. Because what God sees, when you make a promise, you've given the gift. You might not have fulfilled with its implication, but you've given it. Do you see then when you begin to see the faithfulness of God, how it will start to change your ways. So Naomi committed to, to, to um, Ruth committed to go with Naomi, um, even if it cost her her life. And she trusted in God, even if it was to her detriment. She would not leave Naomi alone. Moses said to God, you have said to me that you know me by name and that I have found favor with you. And Moses said to God, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Moses knew how important knowing the ways of God are. In slide three, if we could have that, please. In Psalm 103, verse seven, the psalm says, he revealed his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. In the New Living Translation, it says this, he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. And apparently in the original Hebrew, the, the meaning behind that word ways 
carries that whole aspect of character. You know, we, we behave out of our character, don't we? Yeah. yeah. And so when Moses saw God's ways, he was seeing his character and was trusting himself to it. So Naomi was faithful in love. I mean, Ruth, so I'm getting these two mixed up. Ruth, if I say Naomi from now on, just, just, just take that as Ruth as well. And I'll try and clarify as I go along. It's just that I've got, a, I've got two dear friends with me today, um, Peter and Helene, who I used to um, share a great fellowship with in my previous church down in London many years ago. And they've got a daughter named Naomi. So Naomi's on my mind at the moment. And... Um, It, it's a, it, it's um, oh, please say hello to Peter and Helene afterwards as well. That's okay. They're good people. They're my friends. I'll, I'll, I'll vouch for them. They're okay. They're okay. Ruth recognized the ways of God in being faithful in love, faithful in a little, faithful in what she has to hand. When she entered the land of Bethlehem, she immediately said, what can I do to provide? And one of the provisions for the poor in the country, because there were no social services, was to do something called glean. Anybody heard of that word, glean? It's where you go into a field after the harvesters have been there and harvested the crop, and anything that's left over, you pick up. And... Uh, it was, it was written into the law that, that landowners should actually not harvest right to the edge of the field and leave, and leave the corners, the awkward bits, for the poor to go and glean. And Ruth humbled herself to glean in the fields, but in barley fields. Have you, anybody here eaten bread made from barley flour? What's it like, Martin? Awful. It is awful. It's, it's dry, it's coarse. You don't normally make bread from barley flour. So the two things that it's good for, one is for feeding animals and the other is making beer. Is that right? <laughs> but Ruth didn't despise the barley. And she gleaned, took, she ate and was satisfied and took the rest home to Naomi and shared what little she had with Naomi. She was generous, faithful in generosity. Whatever God laid into her hand, she would go on to share. So, generosity isn't something you do when you have something to be generous with. You, th you think you have something to be generous with. Some people think, I will give once I have something, when I have surplus to give. Someone is generous when they ask the question, how can I be generous with what I've already got? You, your, that's your plan to be generous first. If you wait until you think you have something worthwhile to be generous. You're not a generous person. And I was listening to Andy Stanley on this recently, and he was excellent. He said, somebody who's really generous makes a plan to be generous and, and plans it into their life. 
and Ruth was generous when she had nothing at all with her love and commitment to Naomi. So she had herself to give to Naomi. That first few handfuls of barley, she shared it with Naomi. Later, when um, Boaz poured some barley into her lap, she shared it with Naomi. And you see that generosity is a lifestyle, it's not a one-off. Because when the time came that Ruth had her own son, she gave her son to Naomi. And Ruth and Boaz actually gave their son to carry on the family line of Elimelech. And out of that generosity, the line of David was perpetuated and she had an inheritance in God that is everlasting and which we celebrate today. In Acts 34, Paul writes this about himself. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, Paul and, and, and Ruth had an idea about the ways of the Lord. But when you are generous, God can do something with it. In being trusted with a little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with a little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone's property, who will give you property of your own? When Boaz saw Ruth, word of Ruth had spread. And one of the things that attracted Boaz to Ruth was the fact that she, he said to her, you are a virtuous woman. When we follow in the ways of the Lord, it does not go unnoticed. And it says the whole, the whole town knows you are a virtuous woman. When we follow the ways of God, we become an advert for God, for him to hear his voice. And this is one of the ways that Boaz recognized Ruth and um, was drawn to her. Another way Ruth was faithful was in honoring her parents or her parents-in-law and her elders and, and community. She honored them by respecting their tradition, respecting their advice, and, and um, being respectful to them. And uh, she followed Naomi's advice in pursuing Boaz and to seeking his protection as a kinsman redeemer and to um, follow through on the tradition of the, of the Jewish people at that time. I just want to ask anyone here who's um, living at home with their parents 
who are growing up in the education system, perhaps. If I was asked you, um, if you were to list some of the things that you think would be most valuable for you to succeed in life, that life would go well with you, that you would enjoy life and have long life, what would be some of the things that you would, you would list in your priority as, as um, kind of what you'd be need to do? Any, any sort of suggestions? Obviously, obviously, study hard at school. I suspect part of you parents are encouraging to study hard at school. And um, follow your dreams. That's another one, isn't it? Um, be true to yourself. Any, any others that are going around at the moment I could, I've missed? These are some of the kind of aspirational things that our, our young people are encouraged. What about honor your parents? How often does that get spoken about today? When you know, some of you, hands up who's been told to honor your parents recently? Oh, well, I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now with a promise that if you honor your father and or your mother, it will go well with you. God will bless you. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of your God that God has given you. Do you want to do that? Hands up. Anyone want to live long? No? Yes? Some of our young, youngest are a bit undecided on that one yet at the moment. So, um, Paul in Ephesians, and definitely think that's just Old Testament, says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is what? The first commandment. Whoa! No, I thought that came way down the list after getting your A-levels. No, it's the first commandment. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. You want to enjoy long life on the earth? Honor your parents. Respect them. Do not answer back. <laughs> That's hit a nerve. <laughs> but be respectful in your conversation. You can, we can reason with one another, but we can do it in a respectful way. And, and that's what God calls us to do, to honor one another. I just want to finish with one more. So we're learning that Ruth, because of what she heard, had submitted herself to the ways of God through faithfulness because our God is faithful. And sometimes that faithfulness is tested because we go through life, don't we? And we meet bitterness on the road. Naomi said to her girls, or she said to the um, people, her relatives, when she got back to Bethlehem, she said, no longer call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, because of all that she had lost and suffered. What's remarkable about Ruth is despite the bitterness of loss of loved ones, despite the bitterness of hardship, despite the 
testing of the unknown. She had heard about God in a way that caused her to trust and to step out even so and not be stopped by the bitterness because when you truly see the heart of God somewhere else than in the immediate life around you. Just to give you an illustration, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they saw mighty signs how God delivered them. They came to the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted and they walked through and they saw the Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea. Do you think after seeing all that, they would have an understanding that God was with them and for them and that his heart was one of love towards his people and would provide for them? Would you think that would be reasonable? Three days later, they came to a place where there was water and it was bitter and they couldn't drink it. And there was another bitter experience in their life. And what was their response? They complained and they thought God was against them and was going to kill them in the wilderness. So even though they'd seen the signs of God, even though they knew God was real, even though God had moved in their life, they still hadn't heard the heart of God towards them. Ruth had heard the heart of God, and she stepped out, even in the midst of bitterness, and trusted God. We all have faced and will face times of bitterness in our lives. And my encouragement to us all here this morning is to look beyond the bitterness and to see the heart of God and to see that God has a purpose and a reward beyond our immediate horizon. I love what you shared, Poppy, about the red lights. Sometimes we don't see the reason ourselves why the lights are red, but there is a reason. In Romans 8, Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings, this is slide five, Carl, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What is your expectation this morning? Have you been stopped in your walk with God by bitterness? Are you faithful still and trusting God in your ways? Are you still faithful to his church? Or has there been something happened in the church that's caused you to be bitter? Because God hasn't given up on his church. He is still faithful to us. Thank God he is. Although there is ample justification for many to feel bitter at things that have happened to them in the church. But that will only stop you if that's where your eyes rest. I challenge you to lift your eyes and see beyond, to see the heart of your Father, who will live, love, sorry, 
even in our worst moments and our worst times, and are we prepared to love with him? Can we finish with the last slide? I've just been watching the latest um, series from R.R. Tolkien called The Rings of Power. It's on, um, it's on Amazon Prime, doing an advert here. So it's the, um, the Lord of the Rings series on TV. And there's a, there's a scene there where Queen Muriel is just returning from battle with the orcs and Adar. And they're the evil ones, by the way. And uh, they've been defeated. And uh, there's a scene there where the queen is talking to the commander of her army. In that battle, the commander had lost his son, and the queen had lost her eyesight. And they were considering whether the cost of the battle to face evil was worth it and worth continuing. And she says this, the way of the faithful is committing to pay the price even if the cost cannot be known and trusting in the end it will be worth it. Are you prepared to trust in the end it will be worth it? Have you seen and heard the heart of God for you knowing that it will be worth it? Father, I just want to thank you that you are so for us in your love. And you have not left us unhearing in this world, but you have spoken to us clearly. In times of old, through the prophets, so clearly through your son Jesus, you've spoken through the apostles and through the, through the faithful saints that have come through the ages. You've spoken through our brothers and sisters and you've spoken here again this morning. Grant us an ear to hear what you are saying to us this morning. And Lord, where we have been faithless in our walk with you, help us again to be faithful and to restore our walk with you in being obedient to your ways. For when we are obedient to your ways, you direct our paths and you bring fruitfulness into our lives. That will not be just a blessing for ourselves, but a blessing for future generations to follow. Amen. We have people here who will pray with you that have lanyards on. If there are people here who would like to make a recommitment to their walk with God in any of the areas or somewhere who has spoken, please take this advantage to come up this morning. If you want to find out more of what it means to know Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, then come up and see us and speak to us um, after the service. and We'd be delighted to speak with you and pray with you. Thank you very much. Bless you all.